0: Binge Mode is presented by Universal Orlando Resort. With three amazing theme parks, spectacular resort hotels, and unforgettable dining and entertainment, Universal Orlando Resort is where you can vacation at the next level. We know because we just had the pleasure of spending a few days there, and boy was it delightful. It was. Go to www.universalorlando.com to plan your visit today.
1: Warning, Binge Mode contains adult content.
0: This section of Prisoner of Azkaban contains a extremely thinly veiled masturbation reference. So if you don't want to hear anything about that, please check out Jam Session. Want to be clear, we'll be talking about that
1: for a long time today. Yes. That's almost going to be the entire episode. I oh got <laughs> One more warning. Binge mode contains spoilers. If you don't yet know what 15 sickles gets you on the night bus, please proceed. With extreme caution.
0: And now, Binge Road!
1: Well, Arthur, you must do what you think is right. But you're forgetting Albus Dumbledore. I don't think anything can hurt Harriet Hogwarts while Dumbledore's headmaster.
0: I suppose he knows about all this? Of course he knows. I'd ask him if he minds the Azkaban guards stationing themselves around the entrances to the school grounds. He wasn't happy about it, but he agreed.
1: Not happy. Why shouldn't he be happy? If they're there to catch black hello and welcome to binge mode harry potter yes i'm mallory rubin executive editor of the ringer.com a great website isn't it Joining me now that he's finished explaining the finer points of canine breeding it's Ringer staff writer, your headmaster, Jason Concepcion.
0: Now it all comes down to blood. It all comes down to binge mode Harry Potter, where we're exploring every facet of the Harry Potter universe. Whether your sympathies lie with Ripper or Colonel Fubster. I'm with Ripper. Team Ripper. Ripper the bulldog. Cute. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us. Five points, five stars, for Binge Mode. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram, too, at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore, and join our Facebook group, which is just for Binge Mode fans and which is a great place. Swap tips for getting dog drool off Aunt Petunia's previously sparkling floor. So
1: far, yes. on Binge Mode Harry Potter, we have explored the Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets, books and movies, plus the sport of Quidditch mm. and... The Wizarding World of Harry Potter Theme Park. And on today's episode, we are diving deep, deep into the first five chapters of Harry Potter and the Prisoner Mm. of Azkaban, the third book in this beloved saga. Yes. Requisite, spoiler, warning for today's binge as always, while Azkaban chapters one through five are today's primary focus, we will be going deep Deep. on details from all seven books and eight films in the wider Potter canon.
0: Wide Harry canon.
1: Taking the entire series into account from the moment Stan upsells us on the hot chocolate and the toothbrush.
0: Smart. It's a good technique.
1: Color of your choosing. That's right. So stick out your wand hand, choose your brass bed, because it's time to head to the Leaky Cauldron.
0: Mal, where's my dudders? Where's my (laughs) platypoo? Marge is getting antsy, so let's offer up a brief refresher on what actually happened in *Askaban* chapters 1 through 5, by climbing aboard the Scarlet Steam Engine, a plot, the Hogwarts Express, chapter 1, Outpost. Another internal summer back at Privet Drive, and Harry, who just turned 13, happy birthday, big boy, is miserable. Less so, however, than in the past. Yes, the Dursleys have separated him from his magical gear, forced him to do his homework in secret, and yes, Vernon lambasted him after Ron... Phone the house. But after two years at Hogwarts, <laughs> Harry's not the reserved boy he once was. He's more confident, more apt to stand up for himself. And as such, he's negotiated letting Hedwig out at night.
1: Fly free! Fly, sweet Hedwig. Fly. Hedwig returns on Harry's birthday with two other owls. Poor sweet Errol.
0: Oh, just stop flying this time. <laughs> Retire owl.
1: Errol. Let Errol rest. It's, it's
0: actually abuse at this point. Let
1: Errol rest. Protect Errol! <laughs> <laughs> and another owl who we will come to realize is a Hogwarts owl and they are bearing birthday gifts they are bearing Harry's first ever birthday cards he is so deeply touched it is beautiful there is also his Hogwarts info including a note from Minerva McGallion McGonagall herself third years are allowed to visit Hogsmeade Village provided their parents or guardians uh oh Sign the enclosed permission slip. What
0: could go wrong? I don't know. That's going to be a tough one. Chapter two, Aunt Marge's big mistake. At breakfast with the Dursleys, Harry hears a news report about a dangerous criminal who's escaped from a suspiciously unnamed prison. Hang on! And who is currently at large. <laughs> Vernon is high strung this morning for Marge, his ill-tempered sister. And what other kind of temper could she be? Is arriving soon and visitors mean the threat of discovery. Vernon has told Marge that young Harry attends a charming little school called St. Brutus' Secure Center for (laughs) Incurably Criminal Boys, and warns Harry, gotta be on your best behavior, my guy. Harry sees his chance to strike a deal. Play along with the fiction that he is a normal, if apparently slightly criminal boy, (laughs) and Vernon will sign the Hogsmeade permission slip. Incurably criminal, some might say. Just yes, but only slightly. <laughs> slightly,
1: so slightly incurably, incurably criminal. <laughs> Marge arrives with her cantankerous bulldog Ripper and proceeds to insult and humiliate Harry, who, wanting to visit Hogsmeade, works desperately, desperately to maintain his composure. On Marge's last night, though, Harry snaps. This is in response to Marge's vicious verbal attacks on Harry's parents and his magical powers unconsciously triggered by his mounting rage, turn March into a bellicose human balloon. Hate when that happens. Yeah, it's bad. In the chaos, Harry gathers his things and escapes into the night.
0: Chapter three, the night bus. Harry's worrying about where to go and what to do. And when he sees a huge shadowy something with gleaming eyes, startled, he falls back over his trunk, wand hand flung out, accidentally hailing the night bus. Harry tells the mouthy conductor, Stan Shunpike, a death eater, that uh, (laughs) uh, my name is Neville Longbottom. And he climbs aboard. Stan tells him the bus can go anywhere he'd like as long as it's on land. Harry asks to go to London, which is a large city, and I think he should be more specific. (laughs) Good note. Take me to London. Okay. (laughs) Anywhere in particular? No. Uh,
1: Harry reads in the Daily Prophet about the escaped criminal who he saw on the Muggle News. What? His name is Sirius Black, and he is an extremely dangerous dark wizard. It seems that Sirius, a supporter of Voldemort, recently became the first person to bust out ever. of Azkaban prison, ever. The feared fortress for bad wizards, where he was serving time for murdering 13 people with a single curse. Incredible. By the way, none of that is true.
0: Incredible efficiency. Well, he though. was
1: serving time.
0: That's an incredible (laughs) shot percentage. Uh, The bus drops Harry off at the Leaky Cauldron, where he's greeted by Corny Fudge, the Minister of Magic. Harry is expecting some kind of reprimand, perhaps even an expulsion for the Ant Marge incident. Mm -hmm. And shockingly, none of that happens. On the contrary, Fudge is strangely lenient. Harry asks Fudge to sign his Hogsmeade slip, but Fudge declines and leaves. Fudge. Dick. Chapter four.
1: The Leaky Cauldron. Mm. Harry... On his own in Diagon Alley, purse
0: full of gold that he won't give to the Weasleys. Unbelievable. Revels. It's like their fucking owl is practically dying every time it flies. I wish I could do something about it. It's terrible.
1: Sad. Revels in this strange new freedom. Soon, he's reunited with Ron and Hermione, and Ron needs to get his pet rat scabbers checked on because his whiskers are drooping. Ron is about to purchase some rat tonic. Four young, sweet scabbers when a large orange cat named Crookshanks leaps out, spooks scabbers from the store. Hermione, naturally in love with this beautiful creature, right. buys the cat. And who wouldn't?
0: Yeah. Hermione, Shots the cats. That night, Harry overhears Arthur and Molly arguing. Apparently, and this is shocking, Harry's in danger, you guys. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Sirius Black, it seems, might want to kill Harry and the Ministry is no closer to catching him. That's why- Fudge was so eager to have Harry back at Hogwarts because, as we know, it's no safer place. No safer place. To make it safer still, Azkaban's feared guards will be stationed at the school to bolster security, something that Arthur and Dumbledore are not thrilled about.
1: Chapter five, the Dementor. Not a term we're familiar with at this point because everyone just calls them. (laughs) The guards of Azkaban. (laughs) The Azkaban guards. (laughs) Then all of a sudden it's the Dementors. At King's Cross, Arthur pulls Harry aside. Harry, of course, already knows what Mr. Weasley wants to tell him because he was eavesdropping. But Arthur has one more thing to say. He wants Harry to promise him that he won't go looking for Sirius Black. Harry is
0: naturally (laughs) deeply confused by this request. (laughs) This is also, can I just say, like, don't even mention it to him then. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, anyway. Our friends board the Hogwarts Express at the appointed time, and they find a compartment with but a single occupant, a shabby wizard, fast asleep. It's RJ Lupin. Yes! The new defense against the dark arts teacher. Yes! Later, the train makes a surprise stop. and When the door to the compartment slides open, an ominous figure in dark robes is standing there. It's a Dementor. Everything goes horribly cold. Harry passes out, waking later to find everyone fretting over him.
1: Have some chocolate. Yes. At Hogwarts, news that Harry has fainted is spreading, much to Draco Malfoy's delight. Harry feels ashamed. He doesn't understand what happened to him. He doesn't understand why it didn't happen to other people. And later at the feast, Dumbledore makes an announcement, telling the students about the Dementors, now stationed at entrances across the school, and tells the students for their own safety that they cannot leave the school without permission. Dementors will not be fooled, he says, wrongly. He introduces Lupin as the school's new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher and my new crush. And he introduces the new Care of Magical Creatures teacher, drumroll please,
0: Rubius Hagrid. And what a great job he does. Almost (laughs) has a student killed, day one. No safer place (laughs) than Hogwarts. (laughs) Jason?
1: Yeah? Can I interest you in this book? Yes. Ben Jomans.
0: Ooh. What to
1: do when you know the worst is coming. Cower. (laughs) And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's dive into the pensive to sift through our thoughts. The defining theme of chapters one through five of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban is fear. Chapter one, Alpost. Let's be honest, everyone. Lean in. Let's have a chat here. An honest chat, a candid chat. The most relatable fear in the opening chapter of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban is the fear held by teenagers the world over of being discovered masturbating in bed at night. The descriptions of Harry doing his homework in secret are near perfect parallels to lighten that wand. Are they? (laughs) Quote, it was nearly midnight. He was lying on his stomach in bed. The well, see, blankets... Now,
0: I immediately take issue with this anatomically.
1: Now listen, who knows? <laughs> he Just has like a... He to remove like a the word stomach the... and work <laughs> with me here. <laughs> 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 the blankets drawn right over his head like a tent. A flashlight in one hand. Mm. Indeed. Indeed! <laughs> and a large, leather-bound book. A History of Magic by Bethilda Bagshot. Propped open against the pillow. He contemplates cleaning up after himself the way youngsters all over strategize how to hide their befouled socks and sheets in the laundry. Can't give it to the house elves, you know? Quote, as long as he didn't leave (laughs) spots of ink on the sheets, the Dursleys need never know that he was studying magic by night. Harry stashes his school books under the bed like he's hiding his favorite copy of MILF
0: I bet you, like, Harry's fucking blankets are stiff as boards. Dry ramen noodles. Oh, my God. He's 13. More literally, Harry is once again back in a situation where even doing his homework is a trial. It's working this way because the Dursleys have again locked away his school things, locking his spellbooks, his wand, his cauldron, his broomstick up in the cupboard. Harry has to pick the lock and steal away his own things in order that he can work on his assignments over summer break, which, by the way, it sucked when that happened in real life. When you started getting the summer reading, very tough. However, think of it this way wizards, no secondary education, got to really cram it in. It's true. Even now, working in secret at night, he's afraid that the scratching of his quill. Indeed. We'll we'll wake the Dursleys. Indeed. What's that? Is that a (laughs) quill (laughs) scratching? So he's back in, in a sort of prison again. The Dursleys have forbidden Harry from speaking to his neighbors. Harry's still afraid of falling behind, of being judged against the idea of himself rather than the reality of himself. And he's also afraid of being cut off from his actual life, his true home. Every return to Privet Drive fills Harry with unavoidable unease that he's losing access to his real world and thus who he really is.
1: I like how they think he wants to talk to the neighbors. Like, does he want to go look at cat photos with Mrs. Fig? Come on. Sure. I would, but does he? The only improvement over last summer is that Vernon has allowed Harry to let Hedwig out at night as long as Harry swears that he won't use her to send letters. Really, this is a trade-off in Vernon's favor. He's afraid always of discovery. And a cooped-up Hedwig means a loud Hedwig. Vernon didn't concede to Harry's request out of any semblance of generosity. He did so out of a desire, a selfish desire, to maintain the fiction of his life by avoiding any unwanted hoots Because unwanted communication has already left its stamp on the summer. Ron put Vernon on high alert with a botched howler-esque phone call again to return to one of, I mean, Jason makes a lot of good points, but one of the (laughs) truly best points that any person has ever made in the history of the world.
0: Why don't the Weasleys know how to use telephones? Unbelievable. Why? They're too busy shitting outside.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The idea of wizards having direct access to Vernon Dursley's home and of Harry being the one who gets to decide that they have access, who gets to hand out that number, who gets to grant it. This is just too much for Vernon to bear.
0: There is no Harry Potter here. I don't know what school you're talking about. Never contact me again. Don't you come near my family. And later to Harry. How dare you give this number to people?
1: Like people like you? Some barriers in this story, like the one into Diagon Alley and two platform nine and three quarters are porous by design. Vernon, he wants, he needs the barrier between his carefully manicured life and the magical world to remain impenetrable outside of Harry's direct presence, which he cannot avoid. Everything that threatens that fills him with fear and dread.
0: The result of Vernon's paranoia, Ron's, once again, stunning (laughs) lack of familiarity with muggle gear, and Hedwig's arrangement is that Harry, once again, It's gone all summer without hearing from his friends. It's been five lonely weeks. And from the book, this summer was turning out to be almost as bad as the last. Almost! Harry's so cut off that he doesn't even immediately realize that he's been 13 years old for an hour. For Harry, birthdays were never really worth celebrating. They're, at best, unnotable. At worst, something to fear because they're reminders of what's missing from Harry's life. (laughs) He finds himself longing for Hedwig's return from her two-night hunting trip. She was the only living creature in the house who didn't flinch at the sight of him. he He's sad. She nibbles. I love when she nibbles oh, on his little finger. Me
1: too, affectionately. Yeah. Right on cue, Hedwig returns. And with her, a reminder that those things actually aren't fully missing from Harry's life anymore. He has friends. He has love. Hedwig, Errol, and a Hogwarts owl have brought Harry birthday presents, and Harry turns to Errol's parcel first and sees that it contains his first ever birthday card from the book. Fingers trembling slightly, he opened the envelope. Think about that. Trembling, because he's finally gotten a birthday card from somebody who cares about him. In addition to the card, there's a Daily Prophet clipping about the Weasley's 700 galleon prize-winning and trip to Egypt and a pocket sneak-scope. More on this in The Seven. From Hermione, there is a truly dope broomstick servicing kit and a birthday card explaining that Hedwig showed up on Hermione's trip in France. Quote, I think she wanted to make sure you got something for your birthday for a change. This is so sweet. Yes. Hedwig is a wonderful pet. Hagrid's parcel contains the monster book of monsters and an ominous note about how a biting book... Will come in handy in year three. Oh, okay.
0: Should have come with instructions also. Come on, Harry.
1: Yes, this is also the latest installment, Jason, in your dangerous books.
0: It's unbelievable, this guy. Yes, I love the dangerous books tropes in Harry Potter. So,
1: so good. Lastly, Harry opens his envelopes from Hogwarts, which includes the permission slip for trips into Hugsmead Village. Contemplating how to secure Vernon's signature will be a problem for another day. For now, Harry props up his three birthday cards and gazes upon them, his heart full From the book, extremely unusual though he was. At that moment, Harry Potter felt just like everyone else, glad for the first time in his life that it was his birthday. As much as we would like to, we cannot all understand what it is like to be a wizard, to be a magical being, but we can all understand what it's like to fear being alone, to fear being without love and companionship. And our circumstances are all specific to us, but that desire for friendship and
0: community is close to universal. Why doesn't Harry just forge the signature? Anyway, chapter two, Aunt Marge's big mistake. The opening chapters of the Harry Potter books are invariably the most formulaic parts of Rowling's story, following a pattern established in stone, Harry and the Muggle world, beginning at Privet Drive. Move on to Diagon Alley, then King's Cross, then the Hogwarts Express, and on to the castle. These openings do two necessary things which Rowling and Azkaban balances wonderfully. First... They provide exposition and context for the newbies, people who, for whatever reason, have decided that Ben will be their first Harry Potter book. Second, because the settings are static, Harry comes into a tight focus for returning readers who can't help but notice how he's changed from the beginning of the previous story. When we meet Vernon and Petunia this time around, what you notice is they're still antagonistic towards Harry, but they also fear him. Their fear always defines them, even apart from Harry. Think about how Vernon responds to seeing Sirius Black on the Muggle News. Hang on. <laughs> you didn't tell us where that maniac has escaped from. What use is that? To write The Dursleys have always reacted with fury to anything that challenges their idealized worldview of aggressive normality. And Harry, simply by existing in their home, has always done just that. In the past, Vernon and Petunia would simply have shunted Harry under the stairs or locked him up literally like a prisoner, shoving food to him through a little, like, freaking cat door. Now, while the relationship is still mean, nasty, antagonistic, it involves more negotiation. The Dursleys fear Harry. Why? One, they do not know the extent of his abilities. Two, at age 13, they can no longer pretend that he does not exist And three, hiding him isn't an option anymore. So, the Dursleys can't control him, thus they must, in a strange way, respect him. The result, though still unpleasant, is a more even relationship than in Stone and Chamber. Consider Harry's deal with Vernon. Mr. Dursley told Aunt Marge that Harry goes to reform school and he needs his nephew to play along. The last thing he wants is for Marge to somehow blunder into the truth that Harry is unusual. Criminal. Fine. Sure. Incurably criminal. (laughs) Great. Unusual? No, 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 no. That won't do. Harry has always kind of implicitly understood that this is the case, but unlike in past books, he now feels confident enough in himself to leverage his relative's fears to get something he wants, to get his uncle's signature on that permission slip. Going toe to toe with the Dark Lord twice and winning will do wonders for your self confidence. Well, said Harry, choosing his words carefully, it'll be hard work. Pretending to Aunt Marge, I go to that St. Uh, what's it? St. Brutus' Secure Center for <laughs> Incubitly Criminal Boys, Bellowed Uncle Vernon. <laughs> and Harry was pleased to hear a definite note of panic in Uncle Vernon's voice. Vernon well, that- then threatens Harry with a beating, a beating, and comes at him with his fist balled up, but Harry doesn't even flint, doesn't even back up. And he gets, for the moment anyway, his deal. It is not, it turns out so easy
1: for Harry to keep his end of the agreement because Marge insists on speaking ill of Lily and James. Quote, it's one of the basic rules of breeding, she said. You see it all the time with dogs. If there's something wrong with the bitch, there'll be something wrong with the pup. The wine glass that she's holding as she says this explodes and she thinks it's her firm grip. But Petunia and Vernon suspect Harry, and Harry knows he did it. He has to remove himself from the kitchen in order to calm down. He thinks, quote, it had been a long time since he'd lost
0: control and made something explode. Since he was upstairs alone in his bedroom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he can't risk missing out on Hogsmeade. He can't risk incurring the Ministry of Magic's wrath. Last summer, remember, Dobby's hover charm led Harry to receive an official warning that he would face expulsion if he performed more underage magic. Think about where this leaves Harry in this moment. Imagine being afraid of the very essence of who and what you are rearing itself in a moment of vulnerability. Imagine fearing your own inability to control your anger around the very people who bring it out on you the most. Imagine fearing the very essence of who you are threatening to rob you of the life that you're meant to live. If Harry lets his magic get the best of him, that's what could happen.
0: So Harry's sitting there and he's thinking of his broomstick servicing kit so he doesn't blow up (laughs) Aunt Marge. And for a while in the book, this worked quite well. Though it seemed to give him a glazed look because Aunt Marge started voicing the opinion that he was mentally subnormal. No mental gymnastics are strong enough to shut out Marge's vitriol forever. On the final evening of her visit, she enrages Harry anew with some more comments, but this time about his parents. She tells Petunia, basically, that Lily was a bad egg. And she asks what James Potter even did. What did he do? Harry's not the only one on edge. From the book, Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia were looking extremely tense. Dudley even looked up from his pie to gape at his parents. She calls James a no-account-good-for-nothing-lazy scrounger, and Harry snaps. He was shaking all over. He had never felt so angry in his life. And when Marge continues to goad Harry saying, "Proud if your parents are you, they go and get themselves killed in a car crash drunk, I expect. It's the final straw. The last comment preys unknowingly on one of Harry's ingrained fears. How little he knew about his parents in his true life for his entire life. His fear of the lies he's been told and the way those lies were allowed to spread and be his reality for so long. Harry's
1: rage causes Aunt Marge to inflate like a balloon. Floating toward the ceiling. And Harry goes to the cupboard, which bursts magically open at his advance. And he's made up his mind. He cannot stay here. He can't be here anymore. He can't be in a place full of this kind of venom and absent, devoid of the things that make him who he is. He is confronted by Vernon, who wants Harry to put her right. Harry, however, is described as being in a reckless rage. And he points his wand at Vernon and says, she deserved what she got. I'm going, I've had enough. He slips out into the night.
0: Chapter three, the night bus. Fear and the unknown go hand in hand, of course. It's like a feedback loop. They amplify each other. Harry has always hated his life at Privet Drive, and it is truly a hell for him. But it's a hell he's familiar with. On his own, out of his aunt and uncle's home, Harry's anger cools, and a new sensation sets in. Panic. Whichever way he looked, the book says, he had never been in a worse fix. Heart pounding, dragging his trunk down a darkened street, Hedwig's cage under one arm. He has no idea what to do next. No money, no means of transportation. He has his wizarding fortune, of course, yes, in Gringotts, but how will he even get there? And to make matters much worse, he's for sure just broken the rule barring underage persons from using magic. He very well could be expelled. Possibly, he thinks, arrested? Mm-hmm. Will he have to live as an outcast now? He doesn't even have Hedwig with him to use to reach out to Ron and Hermione to ask for help. Should he do more magic? He he thinks about it for a second. Well, maybe I'll just make my trunk very light and I'll right. just fly off and get my gold and I'll just begin my life right. as a criminal. Or At this point, why hold back? As an outcast on the fringes of society. He's pretty certain he's expelled already. So what's another violation? He's described in the book as his heart thumping painfully fast. He can't sit here forever. The muggle police could come, and that's a problem for him, too. What's he doing out here at night with no parents around, with a case? Harry has chosen to be part of the magical world, but that means he's not really part of the muggle one anymore, and he has new things to fear from that realm. He's about to be someone on the fringes of that world, he thinks. And it's, to him, quote, a horrible prospect.
1: Oh, poor Harry. With all of these anxious thoughts boiling in his mind, Harry suddenly feels a... Different kind of fear, present, vaguely threatening. Quote, a funny prickling on the back of his neck had made Harry feel he was being watched. Lighting his wand, he sees the shadowy shape of something massive, massive with gleaming eyes. And we will learn in time that this is his godfather, Sirius, in his animagus form. But Harry can't know that now. All he sees is something foreboding, something terrifying him, causing him to fall over, put out his wand hand, inadvertently hailing the night bus. Fear again is often a reaction to the unknown. One of the things that Harry has consistently feared since entering the wizarding world is the impact of his identity being known. And part of that is a practical concern right now in this moment for him. Quote, if the Ministry of Magic was looking for him, he didn't want to make it too easy for them. Part of it is the larger ever-present weight of what being Harry Potter means. When he sees Stan Shunpike, conductor of the night bus, spying his scar, Harry flattens his fringe trying to hide who he is, trying to hide this identifying characteristic. When Stan asks his name, he says, Neville Longbottom. A nice nod here to the Harry Neville prophecy connections that we'll learn so much more about in time.
0: On the bus, Stan is reading The Daily Prophet, where the same man Harry saw in the Muggle News is staring out at him. A large photograph of a sunken-faced man with long, matted hair blinked slowly at Harry from the front page. I love the version from the movie where where they actually have to force Sirius's face forward and they're putting the numbers under, you know, like the symbols under him. It's just great. The fury in that. In time, Harry will discover that Sirius is his godfather, of course, and they will have an incredibly strong and beautiful bond. But here... When he knows nothing about him, just a menacing face who is apparently extremely dangerous. Dangerous enough to warrant coverage in the wizarding and muggle news alike. This is unprecedented, pretty much. Harry naturally wants to know more and stand hands in the paper. So he's Black, possibly the most infamous prison i ever had the Azkaban Fortress. Still loot and capture, the Ministry of Magic confirmed today. Harry learns that the magical community is living in fear of another massacre, like the one that landed Black in Askaban in the first place. He murdered 13 people with a single curse 12 years ago. Of course he didn't. Minister Fudge's comments in the article reflect the clear alarm of the wizarding community. We're doing all we can to recapture Black, said the Minister of Magic, Cornelius Fudge, this morning, and we beg the magical community to remain calm. He goes on to defend his decision to alert the Muggle government of Black's escape. Nice half-blood prince, the other minister foreshadowing here. What a great chapter that is. Fabulous. I had to, don't you know, he says. Had to. Harry knows that wizards value their privacy above all else, sometimes to the detriment of the community and the world. Right. If the threat Black poses supersedes secrecy from muggles, it's quite reasonable to deduce he must be a, a special type of evil, a special type of threat. Harry cannot believe that Black killed 13 people with a single curse. Stan explains that Black was a big spot of you-know-who. Later in the series, we'll get a better picture of how traumatized the wizarding world and the ministry were by Voldemort. During the first wizarding war... The Dark Lord's reign of terror, carried out by his cadre of followers lurking from within the magical community, seemed truly unstoppable. So, when it was stopped in a manner that no one actually understands, there was no opportunity for closure, no ability to grapple with what happened or what it all meant. Everything simply got swept under the rug. Voldemort and his movement were terrifying enough, but remember, fear comes from the unknown. The response of the magical community and its leaders made the Dark Lord into a boogeyman. The escape of someone thought to be one of the Dark Lord's most fervent followers, a dangerous wizard, who, as far as we know, is an unrepentant, possibly insane mass murderer, reopened those barely concealed psychic wounds.
1: And we got some early hints back in Chamber of Secrets about how terrible Askaban was when Hagrid learns that he's going there. And we can feel, we can sense, we can see the fear. Take me, take me where? Not Askaban, he says croaks, the terror. And we learn more from this conversation between Ern and Stan. They tell Harry how Sirius, after murdering those 13 people, was discovered at the scene laughing. Now, this reaction will make much more sense to us in time. Right now, all that Harry knows is what he's hearing from these men on the night bus. When we learn the truth of this moment, we will understand the hopelessness that engulfed Sirius at the scene of that crime realizing what had happened with Pettigrew's betrayal. But without that clarity, in Harry's shoes right now on the night bus, how could he or anyone else perceive the reaction that they're describing in Sirius as anything but sheer madness? And sure enough, Stan says that Sirius must be mad, and Ern replies, if he weren't when he went to Azkaban, he will be now. I'd blow myself up before I set foot in that place. They go on to talk about Azkaban's guards.
0: Why don't they just say Dementors? Why doesn't anybody say Dementors at this point? It's fine. (laughs) <laughs> so it's just a
1: great question. Before shaken, they quickly change the subject. They don't even want to talk about yeah. these guards. And there's plenty here to seemingly fear about Sirius himself. But there's also this fear forming in our minds around Azkaban, around this fortress, around the guards who inhabit it. How bad must a place be if you'd rather Die, then go there. It's not just about fearing the wizard who is skilled and evil enough to break out. It's the guards people seem to fear as much or more than the prisoner himself.
0: The response of the ministry is also not a thing to bolster confidence and disperse fear. Harry is a newcomer to the wizarding world still, right? Mm -hmm. But he's seen enough at this point to understand that decisions in this world, which should result— from wise judgment, due process, are instead often fueled by factional politics, personal grudges, simple meanness, and worst of all, bigotry. Let's start with the absolutely shambolic process by which points are awarded and taken (laughs) away at Hogwarts, right? Should be a system here. What is the system? The system, I think, can be accurately summed up as whatever the professor or whoever wants to do at that particular time. (laughs) Yes. Just whatever they're feeling. Yes. Or let's talk about Hagrid being thrown in Azkaban, a place that we are learning more and more about that is clearly terrible, being thrown in Azkaban for a basically open-ended amount of time for the crime of being suspected of a thing and there being zero evidence to back up that charge. Or Lucius Malfoy, who somehow, though a known Death Eater, escapes punishment, spearheading Dumbledore's suspension because basically he doesn't like him or his politics. Before he boarded the bus, Harry was concerned about being expelled, but after listening to Stan and Earn, he's actually wondering if it's much, much worse than that. From the book, Harry had broken wizard law, just like Sirius Black. Was inflating Aunt Marge bad enough to land him in Azkaban? It's a good question, right? Because honestly, who knows what could land you in Azkaban? Harry thinks of how terrified Hagrid was upon being sentenced to the prison, quote, And Hagrid was one of the bravest people Harry knew. Harry's fears are allayed when he arrives at the leaky cauldron and encounters Fudge, who's there waiting for him. But Harry's terrified at that moment. He, quote, sat down feeling goosebumps rising up his arms despite the glow of the fire. Right away, the rolls flip. Yes. And Fudge reveals that he's the one afraid. Yes. The ministry has been worried about Harry, who is not going to prison, (laughs) is not expelled, and is not even in trouble. Wait, what? What? The ministry has punctured Marge, And apparently, that's that. What (laughs) Fudge cares about, we are learning, though we don't have a clear picture about this at this moment, but we're learning about it. Fudge cares about, with black on the loose, is knowing where Harry is at all times. Well, why? This doesn't add up to Harry, and it should not. (laughs) Getting to spend the rest of his vacation at the Leaky Cauldron sounds grand, he doesn't want to go to Privet Drive. But he got in serious trouble last year for something he didn't even do, something that Dobby did. Now, he did do the thing. He actually did do the thing, and he gets a personal assurance from the minister himself that it's not even a big deal. For Fudge, this is a political calculation. He has no skin in this game, unlike Harry, who's on the front lines of a battle. Right? He's worried about losing his job, Fudge is. Black's escape is embarrassing, sure. The ministry's continued inability to find him, also embarrassing. But Black getting at the chosen one, that would be much, much worse. Again, politically worse. Harry calls out Fudge on the ministry's inconsistencies, and Fudge basically just handwaves all this. Harry notices that Fudge is looking awkward when he brings this all up. Well, we have to take into account uh, the present climate, the minister says when faced with this hypocrisy.
1: What present climate? Right. Take what into account? This is all, Harry thinks, quite odd. Sure, it is a relief not to be expelled, but the oddity, the strangeness of the situation introduces a new concerning element. What? else doesn't Harry know? Yes. What is he in the dark about now? This is always a source of fear and unease for Harry. Why, he's wondering, was Fudge waiting on him if not to punish him? Quote, and now Harry came to think of it, surely it wasn't usual for the Minister of Magic himself to get involved in matters of underage magic. Indeed. Now, this same thing will bite Fudge again in Order of the Phoenix, though in that case, because he's involving himself to try to bring Harry down. Nice bit of foreshadowing, role reversal there. Before Fudge leaves the Leaky Cauldron, he tells Harry not to wander around Muggle London. Harry agrees, but he asks Fudge What's up, dude? Yeah, Fudge says, don't want to lose you again, do we? And as he's trying to extricate himself, Harry asks if they've had any luck with Black. (laughs) Quote, Fudge's finger slipped on the silver fastening of his cloak. Harry perceives things like this. This is a notable reaction. Fudge's fear is actually manifesting Physically. It's also
0: great writing. That's show don't tell. That's Fabulous. when they, when people say show don't tell. That's what it is. You She's, don't say Fudge is afraid. You say Fudge's hand slipped off of the fastening of his coat. She's just the best.
1: Fudge says that it's only a matter of time before Black's caught.
0: Quote: The Azkaban guards have never yet failed. Well, hold on! <laughs> Didn't someone just break out of prison? What are we talking about, <laughs> Fudge? It's ah, a great point. What are you? What are you f- talking about?
1: So the actual quote is, the Askaban guards have never yet failed and they are angrier than I've ever seen them. But it probably should be, the Askman guards have never yet failed and they are angrier than I've ever seen them because they actually did just fail. Right. And so that's your edit. That's your edit on the line.
0: statement from Corny Fudge. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fudge shuddered slightly again, these descriptions of how his person is right. betraying him. And even the minister of magic appears to be afraid of these guards just in the process of talking about them, he can't control his own body. And Harry then asks Fudge one more thing. Dad, can you sign my Hogsmeade Please. Form? <laughs> but Fudge turns him down, saying he's not his guardian, and then adding, in fact, I think it's best if you don't. Yes. Ooh, what's going on here? Yeah. He thinks Harry shouldn't go to Hogsmeade? Why is Fudge, why is the Minister of Magic so afraid of Harry running around? Suspicious.
0: And now a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Binge Mode is presented by Universal Orlando Resort. Experience the fun and excitement of Universal's Islands of Adventure, Universal Studios Florida, and Universal's Volcano Bay. Plus, when you stay at one of Universal Orlando's hotels, every morning you can breeze into one of
1: three amazing theme parks an hour before other
0: guests. No matter what time of year you visit Universal Orlando Resort, you'll find exciting events to make your vacation more epic. We here at Binge Mode visited in June and it was spectacular. It was really fun actually. Go to www.universalorlando.com to plan your visit today. Binge Mode is also brought to you by Yahoo Fantasy Football. Turn this football season into a saga of epic wins by joining a Yahoo Fantasy Football League. Yahoo has spent the off-season making serious upgrades to enhance your experience. Upgrades like easier scoring,
1: new trophies,
0: and a buttery, smooth app experience. So when you come to play fantasy football on Yahoo, the wins are as epic as the season is long. But to get in on the wins, you have to get in on the season. So start a league
1: with your squad or join one of the many public leagues. Just don't miss your chance to play on the best fantasy football platform on the planet.
0: Join a league now at yahoo.com slash binge mode fantasy football. And now back to binge mode. Chapter four, The Leaky Cauldron. Harry's weeks at Diagon Alley are idyllic. He's adjusting to his strange new freedom, wandering around, looking at things. Basically, before Ron and Hermione arrive, his foremost concern is not spending money, blowing all his coin on the brand new firebolt. Listen, Harry, my guy, you're rich. Why are you thinking like this? It's like, oh my God, I've got to really get the spending under control. What?
1: <laughs> also, he's getting free Sundays every it's half It's like hour, ridiculous. So.
0: Even during these largely carefree weeks, though, Harry hears whispers, whispers of Sirius Black. From the book. Personally, I won't let any of the children out alone until he's back in Ask a Man, a woman says. That goes down easier if Florian Fortescue is giving you free Sundays, as mm. Mallory said, every half mm. hour. But it's still alarming. The agitation around Black runs from random shoppers all the way to the minister and seems to cover basically everyone in between.
1: When Harry is shopping for his school supplies, he sees a book called Death Omens What to Do When You Know the Worst Is Coming. Trainlong
0: loves that one. <laughs> Uh, loves a death omen, Professor Trelawney. She, she loves a fucking death omen. <laughs> She's is an alarming teacher, by the way.
1: Really excited for some Trelawney talk in this time. I cannot wait. Uh, the Flourish and Blots employee, who is overcome by his own fear of maybe having to handle the Monster Book of Monsters again, warns Harry, you don't want to read this death omen book. Quote, you'll start seeing death omens everywhere. It's enough to frighten anyone to death. But <laughs> Harry's focused on the cover in particular, where he sees a hulking black dog big as a bear. It looked oddly familiar, the quote goes. It looks, of course, exactly like what he saw in Magnolia Crescent. And when Harry goes back to his room to drop off his books, he's processing this aloud. It can't have been a death omen, he tells his reflection defiantly. Even though the word defiant there conveys in some respects the absence of fear, Harry is clearly unsettled by what he's seen. He's harping on it.
0: Right. Ron and Hermione finally arrive at Diagon Alley. Hermione has 10 extra galleons for an early birthday present, and she wants a pet. Ron, he needs to head there too because his rat scabbers looks like trash. <laughs> it's patchy, his wilted whiskers. And Ron's running theory is that something in Egypt happened, and now his rat is sick. We'll learn later, hearing that Sirius, the man he framed, escaped from prison, upset him. Ron's relationship with Scabbers has always spoken to something deeper than the surface-level mockery. Ron's attitude towards Scabbers stems from his insecurity, his fear over everything he owns being not his own. He gets everything secondhand.
1: Got that nice new wand now, though.
0: Hey, my guy. Harry could have stepped up and (laughs) taken care of that before, but whatever. So naturally, when the witch at the shop says, basically, why is this rat alive? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Such a harsh assessment. It's like She's like, rats usually live like three years. She's how saying this, this to rat? a child, by the way. She's like, wait, how old is your fucking rat? Has he ever shown any powers? Has Jesus he ever done like Christ. anything at all? Ron rebels and immediately puts his guard up against Crookshanks for unsettling slash trying to literally kill scabbers.
1: <laughs> Back at the Leaky Cauldron, Harry can see right away how stressed Mr. Weasley is. Mr. Weasley is telling everyone that they've been pulled off their duties at the ministry, all hands on deck in the the search for black. And this is concerning to hear. People are stopping their everyday work, all of them, to look for this one person. This is grave. This is beyond just a regular report you hear on the news. Everything that Harry is learning about the serious black situation is bringing it into starker relief. And it's getting more and more alarming. And Mr. Weasley tells the assembled— that the ministry is providing cars to take them to King's Cross. And everyone, even self-important new head boy, humongous big head Percy, thinks that this is odd. If Percy thinks something that seems like it's a treat for how great you are is odd, you know it's really fucking odd. Quote, his voice was casual, but Harry couldn't help noticing that Mr. Weasley's ears had gone red, just like Ron's did when he was under pressure. Harry can tell that something is being left
0: unsaid. This is more great work from Rowling because you're seeing things from Harry's perspective. You're seeing people's reactions to a dangerous situation when they're trying not to let on actually how dangerous and scary it is. The night before they leave King's Cross, everyone is packing, Harry overhears Arthur and Molly arguing and he knows that the disagreement somehow involves him. And he can hear already that it's about how much should be told to him. Arthur, the truth would terrify him, Molly says, and this is Truly scary, right? It's actually terrifying. What could be causing the Weasleys to argue like this? What's serious enough for Fudge to be involved? Mr. Weasley notes that he doesn't want to make Harry miserable. He wants to put him on his guard. And here again, there's all these adults always making these decisions for Harry about things that directly involve Harry. So this is an existential threat. This is an imminent one, a physical one. He can't risk Harry and Ron running off to the Forbidden Forest. If the night bus hadn't picked him up, Arthur says, I'm prepared to bet he would have been dead before the ministry found him. Damn. The truth, as Harry pieces together by continuing to eavesdrop, is Black's escape and evasion of the ministry is surely worse than is being led on. And it's not just the ministry's investigation is stalled and the wizarding government has no idea where Black might be. It's that they do seem to be sure what Black wants. He wants to get at Harry. Arthur says, Molly, they say Sirius Black's mad and maybe he is, but he was clever enough to escape from Azkaban and that's supposed to be impossible. It's been a month. No one's seen hide nor hair of him. I don't care what Fudge keeps telling the Daily Prophet. We're no nearer catching Black than inventing self-spelling wands. The only thing we know for sure is what Black's after. A couple things here. One, the legend around Black is growing. He's not just dangerous and unhinged. He's clearly an exceptionally gifted wizard. And two, these Animagus clues with hide her hair that kind of language fabulous stuff truly fabulous but hang on that's right wait one moment the milf herself molly weasley yes. has a point she'd like to make there's no safer place than hogwarts someone at the facebook group actually had a good point <laughs> maybe it's just the wizarding world is so dangerous that it is actually like that's true, true. it's that's all relative true, yeah face the dark lord at least once a year
1: and it's still the safest that's place fine. he's teaching classes there <laughs> Molly, based on what? Harry has literally come face to face with some form of fucking Voldemort the last (laughs) two years, and you're still gonna say that. Thankfully, someone has been listening to binge mode, and that someone is Arthur Weasley. If Black can break out of Azkaban, he can break into Hogwarts.
0: Exactly. Oh my (laughs) god.
1: Molly is not willing to concede. In fact, she's not even sure that Black's after Harry. Arthur is so frustrated at this moment that he pounds his fist on the table. And that really unsettles yes. Harry. That's not normal behavior from these two. And Arthur tells Molly that not everything is in the papers. Can't trust that fake news. So what wasn't in the papers? When Black was still at Askaban? he was muttering in his sleep, he's at Hogwarts, he's at Hogwarts. And Arthur says to Molly... Black is deranged, Molly, and he wants Harry dead. If you ask me, he thinks murdering Harry will bring you-know-who back to power. Black lost everything the night Harry stopped you-know-who, and he's had 12 years alone in Azkaban to brood on that. So, minus the part there about wanting to bring you-know-who back, most of that is right. Yeah. Black's target is at Hogwarts. It's just Pettigrew, not Harry. Black did lose everything that night, and he has spent a decade-plus brooding. Just not about the things that they think. Serious. He's afraid right now, too. He's afraid that he'll miss his chance to finally exact his revenge. And Molly plays her last card. Dumbledore. Nothing's going to happen to Harry while Dumbledore's there right. based on nothing. Based on the fact that
0: <laughs> Voldemort almost killed him twice. <laughs>
1: okay. And Arthur then shares that in order to harden Hogwarts's defense against Black, the Ministry has brought in Dementors still, inexplicably, at this point, just being called the Azkaban Guards.
0: Sure. Which is especially weird from Arthur, who works at the fucking Ministry. Yes, very
1: strange. They'll
0: be guarding the entrances of the
1: school. And even at this early stage, we get these clues that this arrangement is sort of making a deal with the devil. Clearly, these guards are not the kinds of beings that anyone wants to associate with, but they don't seem to think they have a choice. And Arthur states that both he and Dumbledore don't trust these guards, but that circumstances being what they are, sometimes you just don't have a choice. You have to align with those you'd rather avoid. We will soon see how terrible these creatures are. Dumbledore presumably knows this fully.
0: And yet, sure, why not let these soul-sucking monsters near our children? He just got overruled. Later in his room, when Harry reflects on what he's heard his overwhelming emotion isn't fear. In fact, the absence of that fear causes Harry to really reflect. Quote, Harry lay listening to the muffled shouting next door and wondered why he didn't feel more scared. For one, he actually can't wait to get back to Hogwarts. And he has an incredibly high opinion of Dumbledore. So he's a little biased in this regard. He can't wait to get back there. He loves Hogwarts, loves Dumbledore, thinks that Dumbledore could do no wrong. So of course, He's not going to be scared by this talk. The other thing is, the thing that scares him most is that his odds of visiting Hogsmeade now are zero. I love this kind of shit from (laughs) Harry Potter because it's like, it's just very, I'm a teenager. Yes. This rings true. He just wants to do the shit that other teenagers are doing. He wants to go to the candy shop right? Yeah. This is like in Order of the Phoenix when it's like, hey, the whole security of the wizarding world and the fate and balance of every being that lives in this world basically hinges on, will you practice uh, augumency? <laughs> and he's just like, yeah, but I'm trying to like get laid out here. I'm trying to have a date and it's not going well. Like, that rings very true to me. And, it, and the same thing here. It's like, listen, all this stuff is happening. There's an evil dark wizard that is maybe coming for you. Yeah, but like... Honeyduke sounds Honey great, Duke though. Honeyduke sounds great, and everybody's going to go, and I can't go? <laughs> this speaks to Harry's very specific view on fear, philosophically. With so much terror in his past, his threshold just is not the same as a normal person's, nor the normal wizard and or witch. In fact, that history is now fueling his frustration from the book. Did they think he couldn't look after himself? He'd escaped Lord Voldemort three times. He wasn't completely useless. Ah, now we're starting to get that wait i am the chosen one kind of like self image from him getting early signs also of the rage that will fuel him in order for favorite. Again. yeah unbidden the image of the beast in the shadows of magnolia crescent crosses his mind what to do when you know the worst is coming I'm not going to be murdered, Harry said out loud. That's the spirit, dear, said his mirrored sleepily.
1: I love that mirror. Yeah. Chapter five, The Dementor. Before Harry boards the Hogwarts Express, Mr. Weasley pulls him aside for a private word, and Harry spares him the trouble of having to say what's on his mind. I heard, Arthur I heard it. I heard it. That he overheard their argument the night prior. And the following exchange ensues. Mr. Weasley says, Harry, you must be very scared. And Harry replies sincerely, I'm not. Really. I'm not trying to be a hero, but seriously, Sirius Black can't be worse than Voldemort. It's a great point. Can he?
0: <laughs> I mean, like, I j- went toe-to-toe with Voldemort twice. Like, what are we talking about?
1: Survived Voldemort when I was just a baby. Like, yeah. I'm a 13-year-old man now. And Harry's not saying this just to pretend to be brave. This isn't an empty boast. This isn't self-puffery. This is how he really feels, at least right now. And... Not even Mr. Weasley's request, seemingly extremely strange in the moment that Harry promised him he won't go looking for black no matter what he hears, is enough to tip Harry's view. Highly notable here, though, Harry replies, why would I go looking for someone I know wants to kill me? But this is something that Harry will do, of course, famously in the forest again, in one of his maybe the defining act of bravery. Fear is contextual. There is clearly still more here that is left unsaid that Harry does not know. But again, his perspective and his threshold for fear is uncommon. What does fear even mean when you've been through what Harry has, when you've faced the Dark Lord, when you've lost your family, when you've grown up in a cupboard knowing nothing but neglect?
0: On the train, Harry tells his friends what he's learned, and their reaction stands in stark contrast to his own. They are truly terrified. They're gripped by horror. They, from the book, seem to be much more frightened of black than he was. The seeds of the impending divide are planted here also. Ron upon learning to his horror that Harry didn't get his Hogsmeade form sign, says, Oh, we can ask Fred and George. They know every secret passage out of the castle. Aha. Yeah, I bet they do. I wonder why. (laughs) Hermione doesn't want to hear that. Ron! I don't think Harry should be sneaking out of the school with black on the loose. When the train stops, a horror movie plot seeps into our story. Even Professor R.J. Lupin, the sleeping man in their compartment, awakes when this starts to go down. Before Lupin can leave to get help, a dementor approaches their compartment and Harry gets his first glimpse his first experience of the thing that will haunt his year from the book standing in the door illuminated by the shivering flames in lupin's hand was a cloaked figure that towered to the ceiling its face was completely hidden beneath its hood harry's eyes darted downward and what he saw made his stomach contract there was a hand protruding from the cloak it was glistening grayish slimy looking and scabbed like something dead that had decayed in water nightmarish stuff continues And the thing beneath the hood, whatever it was, drew a long, slow, rattling breath as though it were trying to suck something more than air from the surroundings. The Dementors, of course, their power is the ability to steal happiness and hope. Indeed, to sap them so completely that even the notion that happiness and hope are things that can exist, forget not feeling them. What you feel is that those things are just gone completely and will never return. It's devastating. They are like weaponized depression and fear. And Harry, who has experienced so much tragedy in his life already, for whom courage is a defining character trait, will find that he is particularly sensitive to them. When the Dementor appears at the entrance to the cabin, Harry feels unrelenting and irresistible cold crawl, quote, inside his chest and inside his very heart. He loses consciousness, passes out, feels as though he's being dragged down, down, down deep into the cold. And he hears screaming. From who? From what? He'll find out later. Mm.
1: Harry fears the way that he reacted to the presence of the Dementors. Harry is, as Rowling reminds us, at the beginning of every book, unusual, different. But in this case, what makes Harry different, unlike the reveal of his mouth abilities or his Quidditch acumen or any of his magical talents, In this moment, it's his weakness. It's his vulnerability in the presence of these beings. Didn't all of you fall off your seats? Harry wants to know as his friends talk about the effect that the creatures had on them. They felt the cold. They felt the despair. None of them collapsed. None of them are missing time. Quote, Harry didn't understand. He felt weak and shivery as though he was recovering from a bad bout of flu. He also felt the beginnings of shame. Why had he gone to pieces like that? when no one else had. Harry's courage and innate inner strength are so fundamental to his character that the sudden appearance of this vulnerability really rattles him. It's like losing a part of himself, but a part that he can't see anymore and doesn't know how
0: to fix. It doesn't help at all that this didn't occur in private. At school, nothing is secret for very long. Ron and Hermione are looking at with fear in their eyes, and Malfoy loves it. He can't wait to use this against him. Lupin sent word ahead, and now Magallion and Pomfrey are fussing over him too. Pomfrey says, he won't be the last one who collapses. Yes, he's all kindly terrible things they are and the effect they have on people who are already delicate. Harry hearing this is alarmed. I'm not delicate. Harry's less afraid of Sirius (laughs) Black because Sirius Black, by the way, is just an idea. At this point, right? Just a notion, a person who, right. according to a story, did a thing. This is present. This is real. I just fainted in the presence of these things. I'm, I've showed a weakness that I don't understand. It's like, you know, when you're a kid, if you ever fall ill or know someone who becomes ill, the tragedy of it is now you're not like the other kids somehow, right? right. And this is what Harry is dealing with. There's something different about him, something different in a way that's worse somehow than the way he's already different. When Dumbledore speaks. At the welcome feast, even though he's talking about something scary, warning students about the perils of getting by the Dementors, his mere presence soothes Harry's bubbling fear. You couldn't help trusting Albus Dumbledore, and as Harry watched him beaming around at the students, he felt really calm for the first time since the Dementor had entered that train compartment. Yes, because Harry at this point can, can think to himself, maybe it's just that one time and the weird thing that happened, but when it happens again, that's when he becomes really, really afraid. Mal, yeah. Welcome to binge mode, emergency podcasting for the deep dive loving witcher wizards. Just stick out your ear holes, put in your buds, and we can take you anywhere you want to go. Right now, I want to learn more about triple decker transport. So please toss the invisibility cloak over our heads and lead us into the restricted section. Teach us what we need to know about the night bus.
1: The night bus. If you're looking to avoid a run-in with the Malfoys or their ilk, as our heroes so often are, the night bus may be just the ticket, whether or not you have a ticket. The bus, which Minister of Magic Dugald MacPhail introduced in 1865, is one of the rare items in the magical world that's influenced by the Muggle realm and, as such, was besmirched by pureblood bigots, who, according to J.K. Rowling on Pottermore, warred against it in the pages of the Daily Prophet, calling it a, quote, muggle-esque outrage. Hey, more room for the rest of us. Though passage aboard the purple triple-decker can be pre-booked, the bus's primary utility comes as a rescue vessel for stranded witches and wizards. Thus, the name, a homonym of Night N-I-G-H-T, that, according to JKR, simultaneously nods to the after-hours buses that crisscross Britain and to the nightly K-N-I-G-H-T-L-Y idea of rescue and protection. Quote, this seemed appropriate for a vehicle that is often the conveyance of last resort. As Harry learns in chapter three, magical beings can call the bus by sticking out their wand hands. It appears with a bang and a blinding flash. And for Harry's journey, at least, it costs 11 sickles to board or 15 if you want hot chocolate, a hot water bottle, and a toothbrush in the color you're choosing. From there, Stan and Earn Named, interestingly, after J.K.R.'s grandfathers, Stanley and Ernest, can take you anywhere, per Stan, long as it's on land, can't do nothing underwater. Hi, Kahill. During the day, the bus contains seats, in the wee hours, brass beds. No matter the time, though, that toothbrush purchase might be wise, because the bus, which can fit through deceptively small spaces and travel at a higher speed than a regular bus, can be a vomit-inducing experience. Muggles don't notice the bus jumping about. Don't listen properly, do they? Don't look properly either. Never notice nothing. They don't. But your stomach will notice. The lampposts, mailboxes, and trash cans jumping out of the bus's way. During his first ride, Harry can't sleep, certainly due to his existential dread and stress relating to Aunt Marge, but Ernst driving can't help. Quote, his stomach churned as he fell back to wondering what was going to happen to him. At least Harry has a stronger constitution than Madame Marsh, who appears in this chapter and is also on the bus again during the Gang's Travel in Order of the Phoenix, when she vomits spectacularly. Amazingly, despite the nausea and the less efficient time frame for travel, this is a preferred method of transit for certain wizards. As Rowling explains on Pottermore, the bus is perfect for, quote, witches and wizards who are flu sick, whose apparition is unreliable, who hate heights, or who feel frightened or queasy taking porkies. And as she also notes, it's a useful vessel for the underaged or the infirmed. And hey, what's a little vomit compared to some splinching, really? We know of four instances of night bus usage in the story. Harry here, Hagrid and Buckbeak traveling to Beaky's ministry hearing later in Azkaban, Hermione traveling to Grimald Place after Nagini's attack on Arthur in order, and the crew's post-holiday return to Hogwarts also in order, that time with Lupin and Tonks along for the ride. Of course, we get much more of Stan, but we'll save our philosophical musings on the imperious curse and culpability for another day. In the meantime, I'll content myself with playing with my Lego night bus proudly displayed on one of my bookshelves at home. And with rewatching our interrogation of the kindly night bus conductor at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter in Orlando, who seemed deeply distressed by our Stan-centric questioning. Alas, at least we can all bond over hot chocolate. Jason? Yes? Don't be ridiculous. Don't. Black's not going to be caught by a one-year-old podcast. It'll be the foreshadowing that'll get him, you mark my words. So let's split our nuggets, if not our souls, by sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations from Azkaban chapters one through five. Because seven remains the most powerfully magical number. I'll go first. Number one. Ron's birthday bundle, to Harry contains all sorts of delicious bits of foreshadowing. Mm. First, there's... Quote, right in the middle of the picture was Ron, tall and gangling with his pet rat, Scabbers, on his shoulder and his arm around his little sister, Ginny. That, of course, is the photo in which Sirius will spot Pettigrew. He recognizes him in his transformed form. This is what leads to Sirius's jailbreak and Hogwarts quest. In a way, it's thanks to this photo that Sirius and Harry ever come together. Thanks, Scabbers. Sure. And then the pocket sneakoscope. Quote, if there's someone untrustworthy around, it's supposed to light up and spin. Bill says it's rubbish sold for wizard tourists and isn't reliable because it kept lighting up at dinner last night, but he didn't realize Fred and George had put beetles in his soup. Of course, it's really lighting up because of scabbards. I love that they're just like, oh, well, why is this doing this? Oh, who knows? Must be the beetles in the yeah. soup. Also, Harry, upon seeing the news of the prize winning, thinks to himself, Harry couldn't think of anyone who deserved to win a large pile of gold more than the Weasleys, who were very nice oh and God. extremely poor. Yes. Then pay them, Harry. That. Offer them some money for feeding you and housing you and for the car you destroyed. Don't just give it I to Fred
0: and George. Literally choked when I read that passage on this <laughs> <Almost> last reread. <laughs> Harry, what are you doing? <laughs> Number two, Marge says that she would have sent Harry to an orphanage if he'd been left on her step. Harry was bursting to say that he'd rather live in an orphanage than with the Dursleys, but the thought of the Hogsmeade form stopped him. He forced his face into a painful smile, rolling all his finds ways to further the connection between Harry and Tom
1: Riddle. Love that shit. Number three, lots and lots and lots of mentions about Sirius being the first person to break out of Azkaban, including this grammatically lovely boiled down version from Stan. Never been a breakout from Azkaban before, as (laughs) Beats me how he did it. Frightening, eh? (laughs) Indeed. Dumbledore also says in his welcome feast that Dementors can't be fooled by, quote, tricks or disguises, but... 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 As we learn in Goblet of Fire, this is not true. Barty Crouch
0: Junior! Jr.
1: <laughs> escaped by trading places with his mother. The ah! guards uh, were fooled by
0: polyjuice, noticing simply that one sick person entered and one exited. Right. Number four. Mm. Some lovely Quidditch and Megalian moments. First, Harry admiring the firebolt when he hears, Irish international Size just put an order for seven of these beauties, the propriety mm. of the shop told the crowd. And they're favorites for the World Cup, indeed! And some great Megalian moments. Harry gave a hollow laugh. Professor McGonagall, head of Gryffindor House, was very strict. No, she's not. What are you talking about? Harry fought his way over to her with a feeling of foreboding. Professor McGonagall had a way of making him feel he must have done something wrong. Yeah, like catching the snitch in the wrong minute and not covering. <laughs> when Harry appears ill after the Dementor incident, Megalian seems... Quite concerned about her star seeker. What does he need? Bed rest? Should he perhaps spend a night in the hospital ring? Gatorade? HGH? Stretch, should, you, HGH <laughs> should you stretch A blood yoga? boy? Something?
1: Megalian is just the best. Fantastic. Number five. We have our first exposure to... vestrals Quote, Harry, Ron, and Hermione followed the rest of the school along the platform and out onto a rough mud track where at least 100 stagecoaches awaited the remaining students. Each pulled, Harry could only assume, by an invisible horse. Uh Ah! Ah, Really sad to reflect on the fact that Harry cannot see the Thestrals here, but of course we will
0: be able to very soon. Shouts to my guy, Cedric. Uh, (laughs) Number six, some good early clues about Hermione's time turner. By the way, Ron and Harry... Just two of the thickest dunderheads, literally, ever. (laughs) In Diagon Alley, Hermione has three bulging bags of books. Well, I'm taking more new subjects than you, aren't I? Right. That's fine. Okay, that's not a blatant clue. Then, Megalian, talking to Hermione in private. Hermione emerges looking very happy about something. Meanwhile, later, when Hermione's, like, appearing in places where she shouldn't (laughs) after walking ahead and then being behind them and— Signing up for classes that go on at the same time, and Harry and Ron are like, oh, this is strange. Yeah, you're in
1: lessons that are at the same time. You keep tucking an hourglass-shaped pendant back into your robes, and you're 17 days older than you're supposed to be. And you go
0: to a magic (laughs) school, and Harry and Ron are just like, oh, I wonder
1: what's going on. (laughs) Number seven. When the gang is discussing Hogsmeade, Hermione says, quote, and the Shrieking Shack's supposed to be the most severely haunted building in Britain. Delightfully, she is saying this as Lupin. The boy who shrieks as he transformed into a werewolf each month existed at the center of that haunting myth is right there in the compartment with them. And the same is true when Ron mentions the possibility of Fred and George helping Harry get to Hogsmeade via secret passage. The napping Lupin is one of the makers of the Marauder's Map, the tool that will eventually help Harry do just
0: that. Mal, I'm not going to be murdered. That's the spirit, dear. I can't be because I have to tell everyone. But today's champion, every episode, we're going to honor the person or creature that compelled us the most. And today, we're dishing out some last-minute points and awarding the House Cup to Sirius Black! Listen, number one, top line, headline, Sirius Black escapes from Azkaban. Big deal. First guy or gal or anybody ever to do it. That they know of. Sure. <laughs> But still. (laughs) It's a big deal. This is a huge deal. It's a big deal.
1: There are not a lot of other winners in this section. And and the main reason that we landed on Sirius is because whether you read it just based on the information we have in the moment or based on the full clarity that we'll come to have in time. It's a great thing for our guy. In the moment, just based on what we know and we still think he's bad, he's got the escape to his name. That's huge. It cannot be overstated how big of a deal that is. And he's not only gotten out, he successfully evaded ministry pursuit for a month at this point. They have absolutely no idea where he is. And then ultimately, if we take the full scope of our knowledge into account, why did he break out? Because he's discovered... Where Pettigrew is, right. that he's posing as Ron's rat. He found that information out. He's been waiting more than a decade Love it to learn that. He gets to ultimately
0: reunite with Lupin. He gets to find and meet Harry. And also, everybody else in Azkaban, their head is a pile of goo from yeah. being around the Dementors. And by all accounts, Sirius Black is like, I could do this all day. I'm fine. Hanging out as a dog. I'm just good. It's like if What's you became up? Milton. My little guy. All right, friends. Yes.
1: We're sorry to tell you that Isaac Lee and Zach Cram, our indispensable producer and researcher, retired at the end of last episode in order to enjoy more time with their remaining limbs. We hope they'll be back. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today, that you are as excited as we are for the rest of this journey, and that you'll join us again tomorrow when we will be discussing chapters 6 through 10 of Prisoner of Azkaban. Until then, remember, it is not in the nature of a dementor to understand pleading or excuses. We therefore warn each and every one of you to give them no reason to harm binge
0: mood. Oh, shit. Uh, oh, my God. I'm sorry. Uh, I was just. Sorry. i Sorry. Uh, yeah. Marge is coming. Bye. Bye. Bye.